So, Andy, the time has finally come. Yeah, Superman himself. I couldn't be more excited for this. So, without any further ado, I think we should introduce our guest this week. Uh, yes, Dean Hi! Hello, Olivia. Hello, Andy. How are you guys today? We're good. We're good. How are you getting on yourself? Brilliant. Um, I know this whole COVID-19 thing has got everybody stuck at home, but I'm fortunate enough to live in Malibu, California, and I love to be home. So the combination for me has been brilliant. Um, so I'm just happy as can be. Um, it's a tough situation for everybody, and it's a wonderful reason that we're here able to do this call. But uh, there's not a whole lot of traveling going on, and um, I'm home. Although I was on 10 aircraft in the month of June, so what am I talking about? <laughs> well, at least you managed to stay safe while doing it as well. Yes, safe and healthy. Well, and there's worse places to be stuck than Malibu as well. That is true. And uh, for that, I am lucky and blessed, and I know it. And I thank God every single day. <laughs> and I was just thinking the other day, it's like, so you were a guest at Dublin Comic Con, our summer edition. It was going back, it's almost two years ago now, wasn't it? Ooh, well, you got, I'm going to take your word for it because the years kind of run together. Once you, you're over 50, you don't have to remember dates anymore. You just, you could just go. Um, but I, you know, I have a home in Spain. So um, I, most of the time in the summertime, I'm in Spain. So for me to get over to Dublin from Spain is a piece of cake. Uh, and and uh, I think it was probably two years ago. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to like think back, and I was like, "Yeah, I I remember that the queue like literally winding its way all around the floor. Everyone just dying to meet Superman, and even some of my colleagues who they had literally missed your panel. And then you went on lunch, and they were like, "Every time we went by, he just wasn't there." And I was like, "You guys just should have waited." They're like, "Oh, I suppose." <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry. I'll come back. I'm happy to come back. I promise you. I'd love to come back. And did you enjoy your time here? Because it was, it was such a flying visit. Like, did you get to do anything fun while you were visiting? No, well, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I, I did visit a pub or two um, in the downtown area because uh, I had never really been able to do that. And I thought that was pretty amazing. I just, just, I'm a history guy and, I and, I, and I'm Irish, you know, I'm English and Irish and, um, uh, and Japanese, which, is the, which throws the mix in there. But um, uh, I... I just got to see a couple of the places, but it, to me, there's a lot of history and things that I'd love to just walk around and see within downtown, but I'd love to travel through all of Ireland, and I didn't get a chance to do that. My son was younger then. He was 18 and a bit of a troublemaker. Not really, but uh, but I didn't. I couldn't leave him in Spain for too long without me, so uh, things have changed because now he's a college-age boy, and he's got his girlfriend, and he's all loved up, so he... Uh, he doesn't require that much of my time and or supervision these days. So I could spend a lot more time uh, traveling if I wanted to. I travel with him usually, to be honest. I've traveled to probably 20 different countries with my son, which is which is very lucky. That's fantastic. I was the same growing up. I used to travel a lot with my mom. So like I was in Australia by the time I was eight because we were visiting my aunt, her sister and things like that. And it was always it was always just so lovely. And you got to make like such nice bonds and memories together as well. It's true. And when you're traveling, you know, you're outside of your comfort zone. And it, that's a wonderful way to get educated uh, on different people and different styles of, of life and thought. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And my son, um, like I said, he's in university now. He's going to his second year. But he's got a wonderful education outside of the university system just by traveling. Although he has not been to Ireland. And I'm going to remedy that soon, I hope. Fingers crossed. And actually, someone who unfortunately didn't get to meet you uh, when you were over at Comic-Con was Andy. So he is like dying to talk to you and i'm like just hugging you right now so <laughs> <laughs> bring it on andy yeah i'm chomping at the bit to talk to you about it 
everything basically yeah. the thing even t- telling people that i was speaking to you this week like everybody knows you know the the superman show and you were the biggest star on tv at a time when tv actors they, they didn't really get cast in movies there was a stigma that you're either a tv actor or you're a movie actor did that frustrate you when you were on the the show that you didn't get you know the, the big screen roles that people would get now and you know m- maybe that you probably should have deserved to get no, I didn't at all. Actually, the, at that point in time, it was, um, I mean, listen, you always want to play a lot of different roles and do a lot of things. There are a lot of things that I was up for that I got really close to getting. And, um, you know, sometimes it's your agent saying, you were just between you and someone else and they got it. Or maybe, maybe they're telling the truth. Maybe they're not. Um, but no, I mean, I had, a, I had an opportunity for a lot of uh, big films. And, um, but, you know, when you're shooting a series like that, you're busy. That's nine and a half months of your year and it's every day and it's 18 hours a day. So there really wasn't a whole lot of time that I was available for things. And uh, at that time, you were right. You defined it very well. It was you were either a television actor or a film actor. And you didn't do one or the other. However, that was also the time where it was just starting to happen. George Clooney hit big with uh, uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. And he was shooting ER 50 meters from where I was shooting Lois and Clark. Uh, and then, of course, Friends was shooting 100 meters away from where I was shooting Lois and Clark. And so I saw all these guys doing their thing. And um, uh, I saw some of them, you know, George Clooney and Johnny Depp were making the transition into films. And that was great. Uh, for me, listen, I, I was single. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't a father. There was a lot of time on my hands in that sense to just, just work. And I was a ton, uh, but I didn't, I don't feel any, you know, um, any, any anger or jealousy towards people who did make that transition or anything of that nature. I wish I would have had a couple shots, but I have no regrets whatsoever. And I still feel as I feel as though I'm still young in my career, so I'm not worried in the least. Uh, I think perhaps I'll I'll get a shot for some big films. I've done some big films, and um, but the number one thing I've been doing for the last twenty years is being a father, and that's the the biggest role of all. One of the big films that you did get to do was with a hero of mine, Denzel Washington. When you're acting with someone who's like you know a list superstar like him. Is, it, is there a kind of a tendency to like to raise your game or is there any intimidation of that or is that just, you know, I'm a professional actor, this is just another day at the office? Well, listen, I, Denzel, it just so happens that Denzel Washington is my favorite actor and he was then and he had just won Best Actor for Training Day. Um, so uh, there was the, not intimidation, there was the excitement to to, you know, get out there and, and be able to go and play with the biggest, best, brightest most talented star out there in my mind. And, uh, I was extremely excited. Um, uh, he was, a uh, he's just such a natural actor and it's the way I like to work. I really watched how he worked and it was great to be opposite him. Um, you know, the thing about a film like that is Denzel got a whole bunch of money for that and I didn't get very much at all. <laughs> so it's hard to be in those films and make a living, you know, I make a ton more money. I would make more money, you know, doing a, a two days on a small independent film that I made doing that film because, you know, he, he earned all the money he deserved it. I did that film for the honor of being on screen with Denzel. Um, but that was during a time where I had to make all kinds of sort of side deals with my son's mother over custody issues that I could spend with Christopher and so my, with my son. And so we were, that's before I ended up with full custody of him. And I did when he was about nine, but that was a tough Time. So I had to balance that a lot. And um, they were good about it. The production was good about it. Um, and I was able to get that done. I, normally, I wouldn't be I, I had to turn down all sorts of big projects because uh, because of my custodial time as a father 
And uh, that's just the way it goes. I turned down a contract for a series that would have probably made me the highest, if not the highest, one of the three or four highest paid actors in television because I would have had to leave Los Angeles and I couldn't do that with the way my custodial issues were working out with his mom. And um, I could be bitter about that, but um, I'm not. Although it just, it, it is a bummer because it would have been good for everyone. There's two films you've done that I really enjoyed, uh, Broken Hearts Club and Best Men, where you played kind of gay characters, but weren't really, you know, gay stereotypes at the time when that's kind of <laughs> the only representation they had. Did you have any pushback either internally or from, you know, your, your agents or people who are surrounding you, like Superman being gay, this might not be the, the best step to go to? Well, yes, of course I did. I had all sorts of pushback, but I, I've never been one to sort of follow the prescribed steps um you know i didn't I, I just don't like to fit into anybody's particular box i'd like to do what i believe is right and what i feel is 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 what i want to do and at the time that i did the first one uh best men um that uh was the first big film i think i had done the first film i had done outside of doing uh lois and clark so um there was a lot of concern that i was going to play gay they i had a lot of pushback from representation I, I refused to budge, and I was very honored and happy to be in that film. It was a great film. I thought that was a lot of fun. Quirky little film. It was great. Um, you know, Drew Barrymore was great in that. Luke Wilson. That can't happen. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so uh, lots of good people. Sean Patrick Flannery. Uh, just great, great folks in that. And, and I really enjoyed the film. Uh, but uh, playing gay, that's the character. Uh, and that was wonderful, but I did get a lot of pushback because, uh, you know, playing Superman had a nice, uh, big gay following and people were like, well, people are going to think you're gay. I said, if they think I'm gay after watching me in, as play this character, then I've done my job. Good. They can think whatever they want to. I mean, that's the whole thing. Um, but that particular character wasn't, um, flamboyant or anything like that, but he was certainly the atypical character because it was something that his buddies all knew. But never really said anything too much about it, and he was he and he was so, you know, worried about perception. He didn't want to be. He, he was he was embarrassed for himself, and uh, so it was great to be able to play that character and do that and have it come to a, a um, have him come to a good understanding of himself before before the end of the film. Let me just say that um, the Broken Hearts Club. You just named like three of my favorite movies that I've been a part of. The Broken Hearts Club as well, and Out of Time. Um, but the Broken Hearts Club was incredible. The actors were fantastic. Everybody did it. Again, this is the kind of project. Nobody made any money. Um, I fought hard and wanted to audition for that film. They didn't want me. And uh, they said, I said, but it's so funny. It's so great. I really want to go and be a part of it. And they said, no, they don't see you as the guy. And I said, they said, you know, you can go audition. I said, oh, let me do it. Let's go audition. So I did audition for it. And, and I, I got the role. It was great. One of my producers, Mickey, he came to me after it was all over and he goes, okay, Dean, I'll be honest. I didn't want you <laughs> for the role. Um, but now that I've seen the film and you've done it, he said, I can't picture anybody else playing Cole. And that was my character's name. And that was the greatest thing ever for me. And that was written by and directed by Greg Berlanti, who has gone on to become like the most prolific television producer, I think, in history, uh, having the largest number of shows on any single time. So um, he was extremely talented as a writer and as a director. And uh, I'm glad to see all the success that he's been having uh, in in the superhero genre, really quite a bit. But uh, but elsewhere, he's just extremely talented guy. And that film was a was a labor of love. And again, 
uh, I was told not to play the character. Oh no, you don't can't play gay again. And this was a much more this is a much more um, sort of a, a real slice of life because um, it was Greg's story, uh, and it was just a brilliant thing to do. And I love doing it. So um, it's one of my favorite films. I think it's so funny and sweet and romantic, and it's I think it's an amazing film. So I'm so proud to be a part of that uh, as well. And again, at the time, it was not the cool thing to do. Um, and I, I, I rarely go with the, the, what the zeitgeist says is the cool thing to do. I do what I think is right in my heart. Uh, sometimes it works out real well. Sometimes you're met with a lot of resistance, but the, to borrow a line from my, my character in the first film you mentioned, or the second film you mentioned, um, he says to thine own self be true. And, and that is what I, how I try to live my life anyway. So, um, and that was from, uh, that was from the, uh, best men. Um, and so that's just, uh, that, so to say that it's a very true thing for me. Um, cause I'll be true to myself for sure. Do you willfully go against, because there's the kind of the famous adage, you never work with children or animals. And I was going through your, your IMDB <laughs> and you've been in 19 movies with both of them. Are you just trying to give your agent a, a heart attack or? <laughs> No, you know, they, they say that because children and actors, I mean, sorry, children and animals don't act. And they're, so they're brilliant on screen. If you're, if you're caught acting, oh my gosh, that's like the worst thing you, you want. You don't want to be caught acting. So, um, um, you know, if a dog if you or a cat, I mean, if you take a little piece of string and the cat starts watching the string, just watching the cat watch the string is fascinating. And you do it to an actor, oh my gosh, we're not so interesting. Um, but no, the reason... I started making a lot of kids films and things of that nature was because I had a kid and I could bring him on set and he would enjoy the film and, and it would be there. And so that's, you'll find that a lot with uh, certain actors like, why would somebody make this when they've done this? Because they want their kids to see them in that film and around that. And uh, so I did a lot of those things and I found a fun little niche there to be able to make these cute little films uh, with kids or, or animals or both uh, that my son could enjoy as he was growing up. Um, now that he is grown up, uh, I'll probably start making some different kinds of movies. You know, um, I've made a few in the past anyway, but I may make more. It just depends. Uh, but I, I do like working with kids and I do like working with animals. So, um, maybe it's because I don't have such a big ego, you know, it's not my ego. I know you have to do 37 takes to get an animal to sit right. And maybe 32 takes for a kid sometimes. And it's just patience and, and, uh, uh, and, and try and enjoy it. But I, but I like working with kids, animals. I like playing gay. I like doing all the things that are supposed to be wrong. What's going on? <laughs> I have to ask, actually, what does Christopher think of, you know, his dad is seen as like a generation Superman? <laughs> it's a weird thing for him, I think, because he's aware of it. and People say it all the time, but I don't, you know, he, he barely watched, he's barely watched the series ever. And, uh, how you dare know, he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things, though. I mean, because he's so he doesn't. I don't think he loves when dad is the center of attention. You know, he'd rather I'm just his dad, and instead of having to go somewhere and dad is the center of attention for things and people, or if it's a comic con or something, he doesn't want to be anywhere near that. He if it's, if I took him to a comic con, he'd never be near me. He'd be overlooking at the gaming sections and the things like that, and maybe he'd be near me when he wanted to meet somebody that I knew that he thought was cool in a film or something, you know, but he, but otherwise he doesn't like everyone. I'm dad. He wants me to get him something to eat and, and hang out with him and just be his father. Um, maybe give him some money to buy something. I, who knows? Um, but that's, that's, that's the way that works. And, and I, I understand that um, completely. And so I try to, I try to be aware of that. You know, they joke with it. Sometimes he embraces it. You know, 
some of his characters that he plays, like his screen names, things like that, like his 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 college mates will give him or, you know, son of Superman or weird things like that. He's just <laughs> you got to take it. You got to take it. He's got a pretty good thick skin. though. Is your son any interest in following into the, the family business? You know, um, I don't know my son. So even at my son's age, I wasn't really an actor. You know, I had done a couple of things, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Acting is it's a weird profession because you're pretending and it's an odd thing. And I didn't really, I mean, even when I started doing Lois and Clark, I was very, very new and very green. I didn't really, I hadn't done that much. And as time goes on, you get better at it and better at it like anything, um, hopefully. Um, but he doesn't have a passion for it yet at this point in time. But when I'm shooting a movie, he'll come in and do something and he can be very funny. I think he enjoys the, uh, the attention that he gets sometimes when he's doing it afterward, like it shows somebody, oh, here I am in the scene. That's kind of fun. Uh, but I don't know that he has a passion for filmmaking yet. He may develop that if he wants to. I know some uh, people who know some people. So <laughs> if he wants to get into <laughs> business, nepotism isn't completely dead and it never will be. Um, but it's, it's whether or not he takes a, a shine to it. I don't know. My dad is a brilliant director. Um, I have learned and continue to learn so much from him. So I'm really lucky to have had him to bounce ideas off of. And I've done all the writing behind him for 20, 25 years, um, written projects with him and written things that he's directed. So he's been sort of training me for decades. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll train Christopher if he wants it. It's just a matter of if he wants it. Would you be interested in directing yourself? Sure. I have a project right now that I wrote that, uh, that I want to direct, um, and star in. Um, and we're pretty close to getting that up and funded. But this whole COVID thing has sort of put a wrench in everything for now. Um, even with, uh, you know, like the, the whole entire, I went to Princeton University. It's an Ivy League school. Well, the Ivy League just canceled their entire fall sports uh, schedule. So the, the young football players there aren't going to play this year. Um, and actually, this one film that I was going to direct and star in requires some football players to do some things. So I was going to steal some things at some games. And I don't know if I, I it'll have to, may have to you know, get on, on hold for a year just because of that. Um, because it cost, I was going to steal the footage at football games with, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 100,000 people in the crowd um, and football players as opposed to faking it all, which is extremely expensive and hard to do for small films. So that's put a wrench in a lot of different things. And um, we'll see, but I would direct myself in a heartbeat if it's, if it's the, like I wrote it, you know, then it's a, then I'm the one telling the story. So it's real easy for me. I know what I want. Uh, if it's a, if it was a more emotional, it's a kind of a comedic piece. If it was a more emotional kind of a thing. Perhaps I wouldn't want to direct myself. It just depends. I, I enjoy all aspects of filmmaking, writing, producing, directing, acting. Um, so I am happy to do this, that, or the other, and never, I mean, never one over the other. People are like, well, if you had to choose, I'll never have to choose. That's the wonderful thing about it. I can do it, do it all. A lot of people, they always say, like, who have worked in the industry, it's like just being on the set and getting the buzz of just making something, as long as you get to be involved in that, like, you're mostly just happy doing any of the jobs kind of thing. Like, I was a, a trainee AD on Penny Dreadful when it filmed over here, and it was just, like, it was probably one of the best jobs I've had. Like, it was great crack. Yeah, it's it's it, there's something addicting about being on set and creating and doing that. It's a it's a wonderful feeling. It's exciting. I mean, it's boring as heck sometimes too. People don't quite understand that, but it's uh, there's something to it. And it either really you either get the bug or you don't. And uh, there, there's a there's you know people come on set and start complaining. I'm like, oh, you're not going to make it here because 
these hours are long and you start before sunrise and you finish way after sunset. Sometimes all you shoot is nighttime and you gotta, you gotta be committed or else you're not going to enjoy it very much. So, uh, yeah, I think you have to have the buzz and clearly you have the buzz, Olivia. That's it. <laughs> I remember just on the sports thing, I remember seeing you on, um, Shark Tank with Uriah Faber. Yes. Uh, would you be interested in making the, the move to sportscast? Mario Lopez has been quite successful with that. Is that something you'd be interested in? Has Mario been doing uh, sportscasting? Yeah, he's doing, um, he does a lot of UFC stuff. He does a lot of boxing as well. Does he? Well, I know he boxes, so that, that makes sense. I didn't know he did UFC stuff. Wow. I mean, I know Joe Rogan does tons, and he's a just an absolute loves it. He's a madhead. He loves to get out there and kick and 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 and. and scramble on the ground he's 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 a jiu-jitsu practitioner but i didn't know mario did that good for him um sure i love sports i love sports through and through and through and uh obviously having played professional football football is a place that i i love but i watch i watched tons of ufc my son fought he's a jiu-jitsu fighter so i've been to you know tons of his his matches and things of that nature and uh, i love the fight game i'm not a fighter um, I, I never fought. I mean, I've been in some scraps, but that's not a different, that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, but, uh, when it came to football, I mean, I would be a sportscaster for football, a color commentator in a heartbeat. They have me do it sometimes back at my, at my university when they bring me up to the, to the booth and I start talking and they can't shut me up. So <laughs> it's, it's clearly something, uh, I enjoy. I was watching fights last night. I was watching fights that took back. In fact, one of the Usman, Usman's fight actually was one of the fights I was watching with uh, Colby Covington. Colby, yeah. I was watching that fight um, just because I just uh, it's to me it's um, sports and the competition. I, I, that's just something that I uh, it's a visceral thing for me. I love it. Um, I'll even watch what we call soccer. So you <laughs> real, real football. <laughs> real football. You know, it's funny is this film that I wrote and I want to direct and star in. Um, is in the world of soccer or as you call it football so it'd be really interesting uh if i got to get that up and running um and i'll have i i i, I take the mick out of it quite a bit too so it's, <laughs> it, but as you're supposed to um it's it's a it's an american football coach yes well it's an american football coach's version you know his his views on on soccer and things like that so it's i think it's a funny i think it's a funny bit but we'll see you can ask have me on next time and we'll talk about it after i get the film made did you ever see uh, Jason Stukas doing the, uh, the the skit about him being a football coach in the UK? No, I did not. Ah, uh, you done one for NBC done a series. It's absolutely hilarious. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, send me a send me a link or a, the name of it, and I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Another connection you have with the UFC. I saw you were recently sworn in as a, a reserve police officer with Hoist Gracie. How did that come about, or what's your your duties there? <laughs> well, I've been a reserve police officer for a couple of years already. Um, um, and uh, Hoist um, and I, we just, our, our whole task force just joined a different department, uh, a bigger department um, in uh, Pocatello, Idaho. And um, we had to do all our, not all our training, but a ton of training uh, recently just before we got sworn in, including all our weapons training and use of force training and things of that nature. Um, and uh Hoist is an amazing guy. I, he's one of he's he's a UFC legend. He's a fighting legend. He's obviously from the Gracie family. He's extremely disciplined. Very funny guy though too. Great sense of humor. Um, and we did all of our testing and things together. We spent a lot of time together and um, became uh, good friends. I really I enjoy him and have great respect for him. And we're the same age. 
Um, I have a lot more hair than he does. That's about it. <laughs> uh, he, you know, we did our shooting uh, test and our, our shooting tests. I have seen and shot with all sorts of people. I've never seen someone shoot a hundred and he shot a hundred percent dead. Perfect. Um, so it was, he's impressive, an impressive guy. Um, and just a, a wonderful guy. So our, our duties up there, um, we do a lot of things with law enforcement. Um, we, we will do everything um, as reserve officers. We have to do a, a 120 hours a year, um, which includes everything from uh, you know patrolling to uh, community events. But we have a task force that's called the Crimes Against Children Foundation, and we do a lot of stuff when it comes to cyberbullying, um, bullying, teenage suicide, suicide all the way across the board, um, uh, predators, sexual traffic, uh, sexual trafficking. I mean, we really human trafficking. We get into all that, of course. And Hoyce, his obviously his expertise is on the ground and self defense. And you know, you talk about chokeholds and things of that nature. Well, who better than to to teach you that stuff and how to to be able to subdue someone without killing them? And you know, our our, our desire and the way the community policing the policing is done up in Pocatello, Idaho. And I think it's a great example for what's going on uh, to a lot of departments here in the United States is it's community based. It's about the community. And so we're really tight with the community. We do things with the community, march with the community as opposed to us against them. And that's it goes back to an English guy, Sir Roger Peel and his nine um, nine rules for policing. And, and it's, it's community based. And it's a great example for it. Great example for the nation and, and hopefully for the world. And uh, I'm just really proud to be a part of the department. I'm glad to ha stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder with the men and women who wear blue here uh, and Hoist Gracie as well. Um, great guy. And I, and I, again, I have great respect for him and, and I love the fight game. So uh, um, clearly I'm not going to fight him or Uriah Faber. <laughs> I outweigh Uriah Faber by what, like 100 pounds, but there's no way I would want to fight him. I'm just picturing the poor person that, like, you know, tries to get away and turns around and sees Hoist Gracie and Superman chasing them down. It's like, maybe I'll just turn myself in. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, 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 first, our first job is to de-escalate the situation. So hopefully we can do it with a little humor. Um, and, and that would be wonderful. So we try to de-escalate first. Uh, but I tell you what, if it, if it came to uh, having to throw hands, I'm gonna be, I'll be right behind Hoist. <laughs> <laughs> Something you got to do recently that I was absolutely fascinated by yourself and Kirsty Swanson got to do a uh, a play in front of President Trump about the um, the FBI texts that were uncovered. What, was that intimidating having to you know doing such a like a prestigious audience in front of you know, the, the most powerful man in the free world essentially? Is, or is that you know just again just another acting job to you? Or was that how did that come about? Well, okay, we actually didn't get to perform it in front of the president. He didn't get to see it. We met with the president. Um, in the Oval Office the day we were performing it for CPAC, which is a conservative political action committee, uh, in, in it was ne in nearby, just outside of Washington, D.C. So we got to meet with the president. I know the president. I've known him for a long time. Um, not, you know, we weren't great friends, but I've done work and I, I judged Miss Universe pageant for him before. And, um, and I've certainly, as he's been president, I've done a number of things and, and, I, and I support him quite, quite openly. And, um, uh, the play we were doing was about Peter Strzok and, and Lisa Page, who were, Lisa Page was an FBI lawyer. Peter Strzok was the number one counterintelligence agent in the FBI, and they were having an affair, and they were texting each other on their work phones, and they were very convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And so the things that they were doing, which were, they, they, they really believed they were being um, 
patriotic and wonderful, even though the things that they were doing, including having an affair, were the exact opposite. Uh, the things that they were doing. So they're they're still not out of trouble. Um, there's still more information coming to light about what they did in their text, but they were so clearly against the president and uh, at the time he was running as the candidate and then when he was president-elect. Um, and it really shines a light on this whole Russia probe that took place um, afterward and it exposes it for what it was. And it's even getting worse now with Christopher Steele just getting um, found libelous in, in the UK. Uh, and that's what the whole Russia collusion thing was based upon. So it was, you know, the president didn't see the play, but had he been there, I mean, I've performed, I've done hosted things, the national Christmas tree lighting thing with the president and things in the past. And um, it, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't, um, that doesn't change things for me because millions of people will watch you when you're hosting something or doing something. Uh, it would have been fun to have him in the audience, but Again, some of the things they texted to each other that I would have to say out loud in front of the president, <laughs> I would not be very comfortable saying. Um, Can um, take a photo really, face when I'm saying this, please? <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to. I would say something first, sir, Mr. President. These are not my words. Um, but uh, and it was it was uh, it was uh, a lot of fun to do the play. But even that, like I saw the the picture you tweeted uh, with the mask, and I remember just looking at, oh, that was pretty funny. And then saw the comments and just everybody going after and after. It's like, like you said, why would you want that job? Like you got a, a small taste of it for what it was a fairly innocuous comment, I thought. And all of a sudden, people just piling on. And well, that's funny that you say that because that, that exactly is the point. I was making a joke about wearing the mask, which I was wearing, and I wear the mask all the time in public. I wear it all the time. Um, I made the joke about that, and people got so upset. And the reason they got so upset at me and went after me, and they could say whatever they want to, but at the base of it, it's because they don't like President Trump. Personally. It's not even policy. Because if you start talking about policy, they don't know what the policy is. Um, but it's it's personally. They don't like him personally. So if, they, if I support him, they're going to attack me. And they're like, you use your platform to tell people to not wear masks. I didn't say anything about people not wearing masks. I made a joke saying that I was breathing in my own CO2, which I know I wasn't, <laughs> but it was a joke. Well, it's not funny. Well, that's the thing about comedy. Some people think it's funny. Some people think it's not. That's a job right now I would hate to have more than anything else is to be a comedian because your job as a comedian is to, to hit you where it hurts and make fun of something, you know? Like Rick, Ricky Gervais did when he did hosted the Golden Globes recently, that was just hysterical and brilliant. It didn't make him a right-wing person, but he told a lot of truth, and that's what makes it funny. There's bits of truth in there that hurts and stings a little bit, and that's what humor is, and you can't do that nowadays. It's, it's terrible. Um, however, I refuse to conform as usual, and I will do as I wish. To thine own <laughs> self be true. <laughs> Yeah. It does. It seems to be unique to be at that, you know, Dave Chappelle or Ricky Gervais level where just, you, you know, you're big enough where nothing can go through. Like a, an up and coming comedian now, I'd say it's an absolute minefield for them trying to navigate that. Well, look, even Kevin Hart had to, he, he had to step down as the host of the Oscars because of some stuff he said, jokes he did back in the day. You know, that's what happened. That's the kind of stuff. It just happens all the way across the board. I look at the stuff, my best friend and I, you know, we'd go to every Eddie Murphy thing ever. Every movie, anything, and every Spike Lee movie, um, we go out and we would do, and the jokes were hysterical. I mean, I could do half of Eddie Murphy Raw or Delirious. I can do half those comedy bits right now, but you can't. He couldn't do them today, uh, and, and 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 that's unfortunate because humor needs to be out there. It needs to, and you and you, we have to be able to make fun of everything. 
That's the whole point. There's a body when people say things like that a bit, but don't get to know, like, like a very cursory glance at Google or like your politics are known, you're, you're pro-choice, you're pro-gay marriage, you're pro-full equality. And then just because of that, people attack your character on, on, on who you're uh, affiliated with politically. Does that, does that ever bother you? Or do you just, you know, like you said, I don't make choices to make other people happy? I don't make choices to make other people happy, that's for sure. But no, it doesn't bother me because it just shows to me a level of, of lack of understanding um, by people who want to be, who claim to be uh, tolerant and non-judgmental, and all they're doing is being intolerant and judgmental. Um, I, I I live by the golden rule. I treat others as I wish they would treat me. I try to treat everybody with respect. I don't care what your sexual proclivities are, uh, as long as you're not hurting children and if it's consenting adults, do whatever the hell you want to. Uh, I don't care um, uh, what religion you are. I don't care as long as you're not hurting anybody else. I don't judge anybody on any of those things. But uh, I, I, I even go often to the words of Frederick Douglass, who's a very famous um, person here in the United States, who, who, uh, a, a former slave who became uh, freed and then um, became incredibly um, well-educated and was, I think, one of the first uh, black congressmen we ever had. And just an amazing guy. And they tore down his statue, of course, during the Black Lives Matter thing here. I don't understand that one. But Frederick Douglass said, I will unite with anyone to do right and with no one to do wrong. And I abide by that all the time. If it's a group that I don't agree with all of their um, all of their beliefs or whatever their mission statement is, if I can unite with them to do something right, I'll do it. Um, but if I have to unite with them to do something wrong, I won't do that. I just won't. It won't happen. So I'm not. You know. You know. If you speak to the wrong group now, or you do whatever, I mean, people go after you. I mean, somebody yelled at me for my chair, this gaming chair that I have behind me. Oh my god, what is that chair? What do you think you are, a teenager? My gosh. Okay. I'm sorry. You don't like my chair, sir. But, you know, I, I, I actually, I, that's not what I said. It was more like sawed off. I don't care if you like my chair. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like they'll find anything. It doesn't matter who you are. If, you know, if you're, if you're, you pick a person, you know, pick a, if, if anybody came out, like if The Rock came out and said, I love President Trump. He's the greatest guy in the world. I totally support him. People would go after The Rock. Um, it, it doesn't matter who it is. And they'll say, oh, you, you're terrible. You're, 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 you have no hair, you know, your arms are too big. How do you move around? You know, whatever it is, they'll, they'll find anything, no matter where you are in life. This is something I try to teach my son and anybody who's listening, people are going to pick on you. You're never going to be perfect. Everyone is never going to like you. It's not going to be the case. You can't make everyone like you and you need to have, it goes back again. Here it comes again to thine own self. Be true. I wake up every day very happy in who I am and the things that I do and the way I treat people. Uh, and it's always with respect and it's always with tolerance and it's always with love first. If it's got to get a little rougher, it's got to get a little rougher. I hope it doesn't. Um, and I also say, you know, look, I pray for peace, but I prepare for the alternative. And I think that's the way I've tried to raise my kid. And that's it's a tough world out there. So you got to be ready for those things, too. But, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything that I've said or done. And, and that's the way it is. I, some of my views on things. If somebody listen, I'll discuss any anything with anybody, and if if they have a better argument and they can convince me otherwise, I'll change my perspective. Maybe that taught me something. But if it's not, then I'll hold on to my beliefs and maybe we'll agree to disagree. But I'm happy to have the conversation. Unfortunately, people aren't having that conversation that much these days. It's just it's just intolerance and vilifying the other side. And and, and I hope again that's something that just goes away soon because I think it doesn't make any sense. It's something that's definitely increased in light of the uh, like the the rise in social media and the likes, and it's 
it's not even just a politics or beliefs and things like that. It's also in the geek culture, actually, quite strongly. Um, I think one of the most, most recent examples that we can give is the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut, everyone talking about that. And now, of course, it is being released and there's a lot of back and forth going on. And like when you see communities almost like attacking each other in that sense, especially for like the geek community, is that something that you know, kind of saddens you a little bit. Yes, well, that is sad. But think, you know, listen, social media is, woo. I th- obviously, we're in the infancy of social media still at this point in time. And I think that, uh, again, that'll even out um, at some point in time because the anonymity that it uh, allows certain people, you can just be an avatar and a screen name and nobody knows you personally. So you can say anything and do anything. Um, uh, it's different when you're known and you have that blue check mark. Um, because then now you're held to, to account. Um, but I, I, you know, it's wonderful for things like if people really want to see the Snyder cut, it's a great way to get the, the word out there and see what's going on. I I'd like to see the Snyder cut. I didn't particularly like that first film or that film, you know, the first film where Superman, Batman versus Superman. Is that the Snyder cut we're talking about? Yeah. The, the, oh, the next one. Justice League, yeah, because oh, uh, we went in well, and I, I didn't really love Justice League either. So yeah, I'd like to see the Snyder cut. <laughs> I, I think Zack Snyder is a, an incredible uh, filmmaker. Uh, doesn't mean I have to like the films all the time. And um, that particular one, I was, I found myself, you know, mm, that was all right. I didn't love it. Maybe because it seems like a darker world that Zack Snyder has. But I'd love to see his version, of course. I always want to see. Have, being the son of a director and w- knowing the process for how films get made, um, your director makes the film and they should have the, be the person who has that sort of ultimate storytelling ability, but it's not always the case. And even for someone like Zack Snyder, who wants to have his cut, the studio is going to say, no, we need more of this. We need, it's too long. It's we need this. I don't like this scene because of this. And someone else can always get in the way. There's a lot of jokes about producers and directors. Um, I, I don't know if I should tell it really quickly. Well, no, I won't. How about that? There was a thought. <laughs> I saw that. Recording. <laughs> uh, my dad tells the joke as a director from a director's perspective, and the producer doesn't help um, in that particular <laughs> joke. Um, that so uh, I, I think social media can be a great thing, but it can also be a really, really toxic thing. And for a person, a young person growing up today, I urge them to be extremely careful about the things they post on social media. Because it lasts forever, and if this sort of cancel culture ridiculousness that we have going on now that doesn't have any forgiveness for people who were younger, um, who said some things that maybe were brash or rash or stupid, they can't take them back. I'm glad social media didn't exist when I was a young person because I said some really stupid things and did some really stupid things that I won't be held to account for now on social media because it's not forever. I caution my son all the time on what he posts and what he puts out there. Because there's a there somebody's got it and it's going to be there forever uh, and you can't you you, you kind of can't make mistakes and that's tragic that's how we learn we learn by making mistakes and going woo I'm never going to do that again um, but if if but if it's out there you have to relive it over and over and over and be held to account and that's just not that's just not the way a, a great way to live life and I don't think we should hold everybody to all of that now politicians that's a different world <laughs> things they say as politicians and things they say when they're running that's a different thing. Because they're not just being themselves and doing their own thing. They're, they're, they're stepping up to be a public servant. And in that case, it's a, you should be held to a different, uh, a different standard. My One thing I heard on social media that hopefully is a, a bit of a lighter tone, that you, because of the size of your hands, you have difficulty getting prop wedding rings. So you carry your own Superman ring. Is that correct? The size of these mitts are big. 
they're big. There's a reason I broke the NCAA record for interceptions because I can casually <laughs> drop that in. <laughs> I gotta, I'll get that in whenever I. Can. Um, yes, uh, that's true. Um, I mean, there are people who have much bigger hands and things, but what would happen over and over again would be um, I, I'd go there and they're like, "Okay, wedding rings." So you got the ring. Yeah, the, the prop guy would come up or prop girl would come up and have a bunch of rings, and then I couldn't get it over my finger. Um, so I do carry. Um, I have I, I have a proper wedding ring now that I carry in my bag. Um, and I do have a Superman ring that I can use if I want to wear gold wedding band, uh, that I turn the Superman ring upside down. So I, it, unless you see the inside of my hand, um, that wedding ring will be it. So that is, that is very true. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there are people who have much bigger hands than me, but, but I think I wear, I, f I forget the size, 12, 11, I don't know. I'm going to look for the uh, the gold wedding ring now in all of your future work and be like, oh, is that the Superman ring? <laughs> you might see, see the inside of my hand, you'll see it. But uh, I'm usually pretty cognizant of it. And actually, you forget after a while. Um, and a lot of times they do have a ring that'll fit me, but I'm always prepared. And just in case. Better, <laughs> better, better prepared than uh, sorry. Better safe than sorry, I guess that's the saying. So let's say 25 years on from Lois and Clark, would they still be married or what would your take on that now be? Well, I would love to see that they were doing so many reboots. I would love to see a reboot of Lois and Clark and see where they are in my version. Yes. They're still married and still very much in love. Their lives have progressed. They've had children. Um, and that creates its own set of, uh, of problems and issues and, and situations to put it mildly as it does with a parent. You know, Terry and I are both parents. Her daughter's a couple years older than my son. And, um, We've had we've had uh, we've had some time to parent and grow and things change and relationships change. So I would love to see how the relationship between Lois and Clark matured. But I see Lois and Clark, you know, when you you know, when you see that elderly couple in their 80s still holding hands, that's how I see Lois and Clark. And that's how I want to believe they would be um, not without issue, but still with that incredible love toward each other. To me, that's. It's Romeo and Juliet. It's the same. It's that sort of a love, and I, and I want it to be. So I would see them still married. Yes, with issues like everybody else, but but uh, superhero issues. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh well. On that note, we are probably going to have to bid you adieu. But Dean, thank you so so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and it's been so good to to see you and chat to you after a long two years. And hopefully, we'll be able to see you again soon. Yes, I'd like to get over there. I'm not really jumping across the pond these days. And I can't fly by myself, so uh, <laughs> I've lost that ability in the last 25 years. Uh, but I'd love to get back over there and, and explore Ireland quite a bit. Um, and I'd love to see you guys again. So uh, I appreciate you having me on since I can't be there in person. No problem. Thanks very much. Cheers. And that's all from us for another episode of Dublin Comic Conversations. And we will be back in two weeks' time. For Andy McCarroll, I'm Olivia Fahey. Talk to you then. 